my name is Daniel Green. I'm the youth director here at Aletheia Church. I am uh, recovering from a cold, so excuse sniffles, coughing attacks, whatever may come uh, during this time. Uh, but first, uh, we have some order of operations to do. So kids ministry, our lovely volunteers are over there. If you are a kid, uh, there is a specific message and lesson plan for you, and they'll do a much better job of teaching you than I could. So feel free to head over there. Second in the order of operations, scripture reading journals. If you don't have one, it's good to get one. I see the volunteers right here. Um, basically, if you, uh, if you haven't seen them yet, on the left side is uh, the book of James, and on the right side is just an opportunity to take notes. So go ahead and raise your hand, and they will pass them out to you. Uh, before we get started, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this day that you have made. I thank you that we get to look at your word together as a church, and what a blessing it is. Your word guides us, and it comforts us. So I pray that that would happen today, that we would be convicted by it, and that you would be exalted in all these things. May your spirit work through each and every one of us as we strive to better understand your truth. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So James starts off this passage uh, today with a very interesting question. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? When I read that, I think it's like, uh, like, a, like a challenge. I mean, can I get a raise of hands of who is wise and understanding among you? Nice. We got one person. I thought it would be zero, but I appreciate the, the, <laughs> the assurance you have. Um, yeah, I mean, typically, you know, not everyone wants to be like, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm very wise and understanding. And, and what James is basically doing with, with this question, it's like he's throwing down the gauntlet. I mean, imagine him coming into the room night, right now and saying, who is wise and understanding among you? Uh, I don't know if I want to raise my hand to that question. Because um, it's like I've got to like pick up Thor's hammer all of a sudden, or I've got to take a sword out of a rock. Like I've got to, you know, accept this challenge and prove my worth here. And this is kind of what James is doing today. He's he's asking this question, and then he's telling the people, "All right, go ahead and prove it. Prove that you are wise." And he's going to do this in, in two main ways. He's going to help us really to understand what wisdom is all about in two main ways. First, he's going to show us what it's not, that there is the wisdom of this world, which is not wisdom at all. It is truly foolishness. And the byproduct of that is, is pain and suffering and strife and brokenness and disorder. And he's going to tell us what wisdom truly is, what it, what it really, really is. And that will lead to righteousness and peace and harmony and joy. I don't know about you, but there's one option that seems way better than the other. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Now, it, it, it does not lost on me that this question might seem a bit out of the blue. James uh, or Kevin just finished talking about controlling the tongue last week. So why is James all of a sudden saying, all right, who is wise and understanding among you? Why is he asking this question? Well, it actually makes sense that he is asking us about wisdom and he's challenging us today because the book of James is all about wisdom. 
This is what we see at the very beginning in James chapter 1, verse 5. The very beginning, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And then after that, he proceeds to tell people that, you know, how they can suffer well, that they should serve the orphan and the widow, that they should not show partiality to the rich, that they should be not only hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. And as Kevin mentioned last week, they should be controlling, we should be controlling our tongue. All words of wisdom. And now it's all culminating into this moment where James is challenging the people, okay, I've given you this. Now let's see if you are wise. And so this today, we're going to explore that. We're going to explore what James is going to consider to be true wisdom. And we're going to see that he takes it to another level of what wisdom is really about. So let's go ahead and read verse 13. And we'll see what he has to say. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So James has already given us this kind of intro to what wisdom is all about. And this is interesting because he says, let him show his good conduct by his works. So we already know this about wisdom, that if you're going to be wise, then you must have good conduct. You must do good things. But then he takes it to a whole other level where he says, yeah, that's good. But then it must be done, if you're truly wise, then it must be done in the meekness of wisdom. What is meekness? Sometimes people think meekness is like this like, frail, vulnerable, uh, weak individual. That's not at all what meekness is about. Meekness is about an individual who actually has strength, who actually has power, but chooses to act in humility and gentleness. And so James is saying, you, in everything that you do, must act in meekness. It's not enough just to do the right thing. It must be done in the right way, which again is significant because he's really raising the bar. What this means is you could go to the innermost parts of Africa and preach the gospel to millions of people and see lives saved and, and translate the Bible into their language, and you are written in the history books for what you have done but if through the whole process, you never did it in meekness, you never did it in, in humility and gentleness, then it's not the highest form of wisdom. Then it's not true wisdom, is what James is saying. So that could mean that you go to church every week. You go to every single gospel community. You read your Bible every day. You pray night and day. You do all these things. You do all the things that you know as a good Christian should do, but then if you do it for the wrong reasons and in the wrong way, and you don't have meekness, then James says it's not, it's not true wisdom. That must be there. He's really taking this to a whole nother level. And for me, when I thought of this, I, I thought specifically of my dog. <laughs> um, I'm not a dog person, at least not yet, um, but I have a dog. And uh, when I was a little kid, I got like bit on the leg as I was playing tag. You know, like some dog jumped over the fence, bit my leg, and I was running around with the dog still on my leg. It was traumatizing. I was like seven. 
So I, I, I never had a positive experience with a dog. Uh, and I was just like, I never want a dog. When they bark, I, I'm, I get all fearful, you know, that stuff. So I was like, I'll never get a dog. But my wife is a dog person. Um, and I really love my wife. So we got a dog. Anyway, part of the struggle for me is sometimes we will take our lovely dog, Cooper, out to the backyard. And my intent is for him to just go to the bathroom. That's really all I want him to do. But he has other plans when he goes outside. And so we go outside, and he doesn't go to the bathroom, so I'm sitting there waiting, like, come on. I don't have all day. Let's, let's go. Um, and he decides, you know what? Instead of going to the bathroom, I want to dig in your precious backyard that you spent a lot of money uh, landscaping. And so he's digging and digging and digging. And I can't tell. I probably told him hundreds. I'm not even kidding. Hundreds, because I think it's at least a few times every day. Do not dig. No. Right? <laughs> I don't know if you, if you guys have dogs or children. But the no is, is, is very much a factor, which can get exhausting if you've done it many times. And so I say no. And what he likes to do is, I think they call it like a playful bow or something like that, where they like put their arms <laughs> on, on the ground. I see, I'm not a dog person. You know, put their arms on the ground and they're like butt up in the air. And there's like, you want to play? And he starts sprinting around the yard. Uh, and I'm just sitting there. It's a really tiny yard. So it's literally just like this circle. And he's going around me, running through our plants, making an absolute mess, pushing bark, bark all over the place. Um, and I get so, so frustrated, so frustrated. Uh, and, and I can just feel the, my, my blood boiling, and I'm angry, and I'm mad, and, and I punish him, right? I discipline him. And I do not do it in a meek manner, in a gentle manner. And what James is saying to me today is that Hey, it is good that you want to discipline because even dogs need to learn right from wrong and what is good. So it's good to want to, to discipline, but the way in which you do it, where you lack gentleness, where you lack meekness, means that what you have done is not the highest form of wisdom. It's not true wisdom at all. And so now we, we, we have to think of that in every single thing that we do, do we have meekness in everything? As I mentioned, James is going to break down uh, two different things, right? The, the wisdom uh, from the world and the wisdom from above. Uh, and so we're going to look at that. We're going to take a look first at the wisdom of the world. And we are going to go ahead and read verses 14 through 16. And James is going to tell us a little bit about this stuff. But if you bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. James is saying, you want to do the exact opposite of wisdom? Do that. You want to be a complete and utter fool? Do these things. You want to do the opposite of what God has called? Do this. Have selfish ambition. Be bitterly jealous towards others. That is what is 
the foolishness of this world. And he has very strong words, very strong words for this, for this foolishness. He describes it as earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And he says it results in every vile practice and disorder. That is super strong language from every single vile practice. And it all stems from two things, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And you might think, really, that's, like the, that's, that's the stem, that's the cause, that's the root of every vile practice and disorder? Well, let's think about some, some moments in history where there's been intense vile practice. You can try to shout some out if you want. Just moments in history that we all know is like, yeah, it's pretty bad. Yep, that was my example, <laughs> right? What, the, almost in a more broad sense, right, the, the very act of Hitler and all that he did is extremely vile. And what was at the root of it? If you know a little bit about Hitler, there was this bitter jealousy towards the Jews, which led to him having concentration camps and torturing people and killing millions of people. And also he had this desire, this selfish desire to rule and to reign in the world. And what that led to was, was mass, just, just genocide, killing of, of, of millions of innocent people, and ultimately trauma to an entire generation because he was acting out of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. This is what the wisdom of the world leads to. In fact, if we go to the very beginning, we see this with Satan. Satan was, was somebody, he, he was an angel, and, and, and actually uh, one of, of high status. He was considered perhaps the most beautiful of all the angels. And he, out of bitter jealousy towards God and out of selfish ambition with a desire to rule, said, I, I'm going to rebel. And that's what he decided to do. Him and many angels decided to rebel, and God cast them out of heaven. And then he shows up in another scene where we see the same thing, Adam and Eve, bitterly jealous of God and his knowledge, decide, well, we, maybe we should eat the fruit and we can be like God. And out of selfish ambition with the desire for their own lives to be they, the way they want it, and that's completely self-centered sense, they fell into sin and the byproduct was a cursed world, fractured relationship between man and woman, the pain of childbearing, the pain and struggle and strife of work, all a byproduct because of the, the selfish ambition and the bitter jealousy of two people. So when James says this is the root, this is really the root. This is what will lead to every vile practice and bitter, every vile back practice and disorder. And so we have to think about that for, for our own lives. Now, let's, let's look at uh, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition on an individual level. Let's look at them one by one, because I think this will help us to even better understand what this looks like in our life. Bitter jealousy um, is typically manifest 
Well, I'll say the first and foremost thing that I think of with bitter jealousy is, is social media. I don't know about you, I think it's like the ultimate cesspool <laughs> of bitter jealousy. It is an awful place to be. I'm sure if you spend enough time on social media one day, you feel gross. And a lot of that is because of the bitter jealousy, the fighting, the animosity, the comparison. It's, so, I mean, it, it, it destroys oneself. When, when, when you look at other people and the life that they have and in yourself, you start to lose contentment for what God has given you and the gifts that he has given you. That bitter jealousy is creating destruction, but within yourself, within myself. The comparison of it is brutal. The other areas that we typically see this is oftentimes in like competition. Uh, so it could be sports or music or uh, work. These are many areas in which we, we see other people's skills and we see other people's gifts and we get jealous, bitterly jealous of them. And what does this often lead to when we're bitterly jealous of other people? For me, it's like slander, gossip, all kinds of disharmony because we're jealous of them. We want what they have, so how can we bring them down to our level? Because we feel bad about ourselves and we want them to feel bad. And so we, we try to find a way. We certainly can't knock the gift that they have. Maybe if they're a better musician or a better athlete or a better employee, but in the least we can maybe knock their character. Everyone's character's got something wrong with it. And so out of bitter jealousy, we tear people down and it fractures relationships and it ruins harmony amongst people. I mean, think about it with sports, right? <laughs> Anytime someone gets like poster dunked on, what happens? Usually someone's like, get off me, bro, <laughs> and pushes the other individual. How much fighting is there in sports? Why do you think that is? So much of it is bitter jealousy against the competitor who's whooping up on you. So many, so many sports games have this as a byproduct because there's anger in people's hearts and it becomes fighting and chaos. This is what bitter jealousy leads to. And this, and this hits very close to home for me because this is something as a twin I struggled immensely with. I don't know if, if you've got a sibling close in age or maybe you're another twin out there. It, or just have like a really close friend, it is very difficult at times, especially if you're someone who's prone to jealousy, which I can be. And most of our lives, Josh and I were very close. He's a worship leader. I don't know if you, he's not doing both today. I don't know if you could tell that. Um, <laughs> um, but Josh and I tend to compete very closely, but in two categories, I would say he had perhaps the most clear advantage, uh, and that would be sports and music. Um, there's a reason I was not leading the worship. Um, you would not want to hear that. Uh, so, and, and in the same way with sports, there was always a slight edge. And for me, those were two things that were so tangible, right? I could just look at it and say, oh, he's got an edge. And that was so difficult for me because I, I, I could never be content with what God had given me because I was always thinking, man, he's always got the edge. And people would point that out. I mean, we, when, we're, when you're that similar to someone, 
the, the juxtaposition, the, the, the comparison that comes from that is so common. It is. People will say, Dan, you're better at this. Josh, you're better at this. And for me, every time I heard Josh is better than you at this, it ate at me. It really did. And so over time, I would get more and more and more bitter about these things. And I would be jealous. And what that led to was eventually a fracture in the friendship, in the brotherhood. To our, I, one of the reasons that I actually went to a different church, which is actually this church, believe it or not, um, years ago was partially because of bitter jealousy. I, and I said, I don't want you to come. I wanted to separate myself from him because I couldn't handle the pain of bitter jealousy. In the same way, I didn't want him to come to a, 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 an exchange program that I did in Hong Kong because I said, I, want, I, don't want, I don't want all these people to start comparing us. I don't want them to know you. I want them to know me and just who I am so I don't have to be compared. And so we, we spent nine months uh, of not seeing each other because of that. And it led to so much disharmony. And I think my parents could, can attest to, that I think I remember my dad saying a comment sometime, we didn't know if you guys would ever really like each other. <laughs> and you know what the root of that was? Bitter jealousy. At the root of disharmony in the home, at the root of the chaos, at the root of the fracturing of the relationship was my own bitter jealousy. The vile practice. This is what it leads to. It leads to chaos. It leads to ruin. It leads to fracturing of relationships. What about selfish ambition? I think this one's pretty easy. Uh, it's kind of a catch-all because so many, we, so many things that we do are rooted in selfish ambition. One of the biggest areas where you're going to see selfish ambition play a, a, a big role and you will see ruin come from it is marriage. If you see two people who are absolutely just focused on serving themselves and have selfish ambition in marriage, consider it chaos. Consider it ruin. Consider it disharmony. I don't know if you, if you guys have seen like the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp trial stuff. I feel like it's everywhere, but if, if you haven't, maybe you're more blessed. Uh, I don't know. Um, but it, I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, we hear the stories, we hear the, the, the relationship that they had, and you're like, oh my gosh. I mean, I remember one time, it was like there was this description, I was kind of half listening, but like... Amber was like throwing lit glass liquor bottles at Johnny Depp, and he was like, and one was like flying right by his head, and somehow he like managed to cut his finger, and then he's bleeding all over the place and starts writing on the wall with blood. And I'm like, yikes, that's crazy. That is crazy. But that, that is selfish ambition. Two people very close to each other with the desire to serve themselves. That's chaos. And we can think of that with, with everything that we do. Think about your hobbies. Think about your work. Think about school. Think about relationships. What motivates you to do the things that you do? Why, what, is, what is the reason? Why do you do what you do? Most of the time, it's, we, ha we have some form of selfish ambition in our hearts to do the things that we do. 
if we, if we approach work with selfish ambition, then oftentimes it can lead to maybe, uh, if we're trying to move up in the world, we would be willing to push other people down. Or we might be willing to um, lie and to cheat and to be dishonest, because maybe that will help us and elevate us. If we lie about the, maybe the financials of certain things, we sweep, sweep things under the rug or whatever it might be. If a doctor acts in selfish ambition, then maybe they'd be willing to assist someone in suicide or whatever it might be. The other area is if you have selfish ambition, you might just be lazy. I don't want to do it, so I'm not going to do it. Think about engineers that are lazy. I know a lot of y'all are <laughs> not lazy engineers, just to be clear. Um, sorry about that, but let's be honest, too. Um, <laughs> um, I work with, anyway, so, okay. Um, if an engineer, or myself, a general contractor, is lazy and does not do a good job of designing something, specifically structural, let's think structural. If, you, if, if an individual is lazy in their design of structural components of a building, and they somehow miss the calculation or, 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 or something, in the process of the design, all because of their laziness, what could happen? A, a building can collapse. We have seen this so many times, so many bridges, so many buildings collapsing. Maybe someone didn't do a proper uh, observation and, and proper reporting of the soil underneath or whatever it may be. And that leads to death and destruction and financial loss because People, out of their selfish ambitions, say, well, I don't want to do it. So I won't. Because it's about me and what I want. Not about what other people want. Instead of, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this even though I don't want to, even though it's hard. I'm going to do these things. Because it, part of work is about serving the community. And so we have to think about every single thing that we do. Whether it's taking care of the family, taking care of pets, hanging out with friends. Why do we do what we do? These things matter. One of the things that uh, James is talking about in, in the second half of verse 14, he says, um, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. You might be thinking, well, I don't boast about my selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. I would never do that. It's not hard to necessarily tell that we do that. But just, like, just look up like motivational quotes on Google. I think they're all cringy. Um, but all of them are super self-centered. All of them are, chase your dreams, your goals, your this, your that. It's all about you. Treat yourself, <laughs> you know, whatever. But at the core, that's, it's just, hey, focus on you. Do you. It's all about you and what you want. And then people will talk about that. You know, I achieved my dreams. I achieved my goals. And I'm not saying you can't have dreams and goals and, and, and aspirations and stuff like that. But if at the root you just did it for, for your own self and you had selfish ambition and it was just for your own gain, then technically you would be boasting about it. You'd be saying, I did this. 
for me. And people boast about that all the time, all the time. People are always talking about things that they did for themselves. Look what I've made. Look what I've created. It's very common. And it's something that we have to be on guard about. We do not want to boast and be false to the truth and say that our selfish ambition is a good thing when it is not. We have an example of this in Scripture. Korah's rebellion. Korah was a Levite. Levites in the, in the nation of Israel had special privileges. They were a special people appointed by God. They got to help with the setting up and the taking down of the tabernacle and, and help with the priest proceedings of the ceremonies in the temple worship. They had a special role. In fact, all the people tithed and it went to the Levites so that they could do this role. They didn't have, you know, anything, any other jobs besides this. That was their focus. But Korah and two other Levites were not satisfied. They were discontent. They were jealous because they wanted to actually rule and reign over Israel. They wanted to be, out of selfish ambition, they wanted to be the ones that had the power, that had the control. And so they rallied 250, Korah and these other two guys, rallied 250 other people. And they came to Moses. If you know anything about Moses, like, this guy was appointed, you know? He's there with the burning bush. He, he leads the people uh, out of Egypt by, by sending multiple plagues. And obviously, this is through the power of God, but Moses was the vessel. Leads them through the Red Sea, provides food and water for them, goes up on Mount Sinai, talks to God, sees the glory of God, brings down the Ten Commandments. Clearly, clearly appointed by God. And they're like, Moses, you've gone too far. We think we should rule. And I love Moses' response. He's like, no, you've gone too far. And he's, and he's basically saying to them, let's see what God decides. Let's see what God has to say about this. And what does God have to say about this? Well, he does not reward their bitter jealousy and their selfish ambition. Instead, he says, get away from Korah and the other two Levites. Get away from them. And what happens, the earth opens up and Korah and the other two Levites and their family and their households and everything they had got sucked into the earth and it closed back up. Whoa, that is a crazy story. The other 250 Levites burned up immediately. Why? God was ending that rebellion then and there. Because so much chaos can happen when people decide, I want to rule and reign over this nation, and they want to take control out of selfish ambition, because surely they did not need to do that, and surely their help was not actually going to benefit, and even if it did, they certainly only had selfish ambition, which can only lead to more chaos. And so God ends that, because it could have blown up into an entire civil war, and the nation of Israel could have been destroyed, but God said no. But you see what happens? with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Chaos, ruin, destruction, and ultimately death. This is what James is saying is the root of all 
every vile practice. This is disorder. This is the wisdom of this world. Surely we should not seek these things. Well, let's look at what James says is actually wisdom. The wisdom from above. Verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. These are what we should be focusing on. These should be characterizing our actions, not bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. These are the things that James says we must manifest in our lives. This is how our actions should look like. Instead of bitter jealousy, we have purity. I love that he says, first pure. First and foremost, we must be pure. Because at at its core, there are so many other things that we could do in in the name of, of wisdom or in the name of whatever, like peace. Peace at all costs. Well, maybe that would lead you to, to not discipline as you should, not correct as you should, not call people out as you should. Because you, in your mind, oh, that's peace. I want peace. But then you forsake purity. Purity, godliness, does not rejoice in wickedness and evil. And so we, we must be pure, as James is saying. And then if we just go through the list... If we are to be peaceful or do we or peaceable, then in our relationships there shouldn't be strife and fighting and disharmony. If we are to be gentle, then as we correct and discipline people, as we as we address people that have wronged us, we do not do it out of aggression or harshness or bitterness, but out of gentleness. We must be open to reason. This is a very good one, especially in the time that we are in today where everyone disagrees with everyone. And there's so much fighting, especially on social media and all these different platforms, because nobody's open to reason. Nobody's willing to dialogue and nobody's willing to listen to other people. But James says we must be open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. Whenever we uh, have been wronged, Naturally, our temptation is justice. I want to punish that person. And we are horrible at giving justice, too, because we always punish people in a greater degree, oftentimes, than we were punished. Right? As you're fighting as kids or whatever, somebody like pinches you and you're like, bam! You know, maybe you didn't take it that far immediately, but that's like typically what happens. But James says, actually, you should be merciful and full of good works all the good works that he's been talking about, all the good works that we see in Scripture. This is what he says is, is actually what, what wisdom truly looks like. Impartial and sincere. We're not showing bias, as we've already heard. We're not showing favoritism to people just because uh, we get along better with them or they're more like us or they have the ability to improve my life because they're more powerful or they're more wealthy or whatever it is. We're not supposed to show bias and impartiality. We're supposed to be sincere. I, I love this one. I mean, it is so easy to be disingenuous with, with people. 
We don't want them to see the, the, the chaos and the sin in our lives. We don't want them to know what's really going on. So we're, we're insincere. We're not honest with other people about our sins. We put on a mask. Social media is just like one big mask where everyone's acting like something that they're not. Everyone's life is so much better than it actually is on social media. But James says, don't be like that. Instead, be pure, be peaceable, be gentle. Now, something that's, I think is really cool about this, this text is, is James isn't just coming up with these words. James is mirroring the teaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. A number of them are. And we see this in Matthew 5, verses 5 through 10. Look at these words. I think they're high, bolded. Barely, but you can see it. Um, Blessed are the meek, meekness, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is what we see in verse 18. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So he's, he's not just coming up with these things. He's looking to Jesus and his teachings and saying, this, this what Jesus said, that's what you got to do. But what's even cooler, I think, is that he's not just describing the teaching of Jesus. He's describing Jesus himself. Because Jesus is wisdom. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 22 to 25. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of men, or for, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. He says it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus is wisdom. And we see this in each one, of, each one of these things that James is describing, because Jesus is first pure. He is the spotless lamb. There was no sin, there was no deceit in him he was perfect in every way. He was pure. Jesus is peace or peaceable. This is what it says in, in Isaiah 9.6. He's the prince of peace. He has a title for how peaceful and peaceable he is. And he is the one who, in the midst of the storm, has control to calm the wind and the waves. Because he is peaceable. And Jesus is the way in which we have peace with God. Because naturally, because of our sin, we are enemies with God. We are in disharmony with God. There is a, there is a fracture between God and mankind, but it is through Jesus that we can be at peace with God. Through his sacrifice, we can be brought back. We can be in harmony with God through Jesus 
our peacemaker. Jesus is gentle. This is what we see in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. He describes himself as gentle. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We see this as he interacts with the adulterous woman. When everyone else wants to throw a stone, when everyone wants to condemn her, when everyone wants to persecute her and beat her up, Jesus tells him, set down your stones. And he does not cast a stone, but instead, in gentleness, says, go and sin no more. And Jesus is gentle with the children, with the lepers, with the Samaritans, with the tax collectors, with the outcasts. Jesus is gentle with all of these people. Jesus is open to reason. We see this as he's willing to dialogue with his disciples. We see this in the story in which he dialogues with Nicodemus. We see this as well with that Canaanite woman, the woman who who said, Jesus, please heal. Please heal my daughter. Knowing that even though Jesus' ministry was first and foremost the Jews, she reasoned with him. And Jesus, who was open to reason, said, go. Your daughter is healed. Jesus is merciful and full of good fruits. The cross is the ultimate symbol of mercy. Because instead of God pouring out his wrath upon you and me, which we deserved, he poured it out upon Jesus because Jesus is merciful. Jesus took that upon himself. Instead of punishing us, he received it upon himself. And he's full of good fruits because there is no greater deed, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. And that is what Jesus has done for you and me. Because Jesus is merciful and full of good fruits. Jesus is impartial and sincere. He was not partial to the rich or to the powerful, to the political leaders, anyone that could have given him some sort of advantage. If Jesus was trying to gain a following, he certainly could have. He could have shown partiality, but he didn't. Instead, he was impartial to all. He was welcoming to all who would come to seek him, who all desired to hear from him. And he was sincere. Jesus was genuine. He did not hide who he was. He told people, I am the Messiah. And he told them what he was here to accomplish. He did not mince words about it. He was clear, and they hated him for it. But he was certainly sincere. There's this end tag in verse 18 where it says this, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What does that mean? Basically, it means that peacemakers who make peace, who sow seeds of peace, will reap a harvest of righteousness. We are the fruit of the seeds of peace that Christ has planted. The righteousness that you and I have is a byproduct of Jesus being the ultimate peacemaker 
because he planted of seeds, seeds of peace so that you and I could be made righteous through the work of the cross. Jesus is wisdom. And now, this should compel us. This should compel us to want to be like him. In the same way where you have a friend who is very generous or, or very kind or just uh, a wonderful encourager, there are times where we see those people and we're like, I want to be like them. I see the blessing that comes from that life. I want to be like them. May we look at Jesus in the same way as we see that he is peaceable, as we see that he is merciful, as we see that he is gentle, as we see that he is open to reason. We look at him and we are amazed and we say, I want to be like him. I want to be like Jesus. The reality is you and I are, are, are going to go home today and do something out of selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. We will. It's just in our nature, and this is the struggle that we all have. And what I, what I hope does not happen is, is, is that we approach our pursuit of wisdom, which we should have, with this legalistic mindset where, where we, we try to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and we say, all right, I got to be more wise. I got I to gotta stop being selfish. I got to do this. I got to do that. And you think about all the ways, oh, I'm selfish here. I'm selfish here. I'm selfish here. I'm selfish here. Oh, my gosh. I'm so selfish. You might, you might not feel that way, but I do sometimes. So whenever, whenever we're in those situations, what I do not want is you to start beating yourself over the head and, 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 and slapping your hand and, 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 and feeling shame and condemnation and, and almost getting immobilized by that. I do not want that because that doesn't actually lead to good fruits. That doesn't actually help you. And when you do actually do the things and you feel like you picked yourself up by your bootstraps, and then you're probably just self-righteous. Because that's what legalism really looks like. But that's not what I want. That's not what I hope for, for myself or for you guys. What, what we should think about in our pursuit of wisdom is, one, his grace. Because as we fail, if we can remember the grace of God that his grace is, is bigger than our sin and that he has paid for that, then we can say, thank you, Jesus, in the midst of our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. And now, because that you have paid for that, and I've repented, and now I am forgiven, I can move on. I can change. I can be more like, wise, more like wisdom, more like Jesus next time. I hope the other thing that compels you is Jesus, is love for Jesus. See, love compels us to action more than anything else. It is so important that we actually increase our love and affection for Jesus. Because think about it. Who, who are the best, best athletes, the best employees, the best musicians, the best parents are the ones who have love for what they do and who they are with? That is what compels us to do what we are called to do. And if you have a love for Jesus, then you will want to be like him because you look at him and he is amazing. And you say, I want to be like Jesus because I love him. I promise you that will change. 
the pursuit of wisdom. The pursuit of wisdom will not become exhausting. It's not supposed to be. Christianity is not supposed to be exhausting, but it oftentimes is because we make it a religion in a way where we just have to be a bunch of do-gooders all the time, and then we get run down. And we don't feel like Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light, but it is because of his grace and because, we, because he's gone before us and because we can look at him and be amazed and fall in love with who he is. That will change you. That will help us to pursue wisdom without burnout without exhaustion. It should feel easy and light. And if it doesn't, we need to rethink how we're pursuing Jesus and how we're pursuing being like Jesus.